صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Nasser. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm doing very well, very well. I forgot to mention last week that Ramadan was starting and to wish all of our listeners a Ramadan Kareem. So to everyone fasting, we uh, hope that your prayers and fast will be accepted and we wish you a blessed month of Ramadan. Robert, but we've got one of your dear friends on the show joining us today. We have a dear friend, Doc Jazz, or Tariq Shadid, who I spent a bit of time with overseas. He's a Palestinian who is a songwriter, an instrumentalist, author, and but also a surgeon. Doc Jazz, welcome. Thank you very much, and great to see you again, uh, Robert. And uh, very nice to meet uh, Nasser as well. It's really, uh, I'm really delighted. It's a pleasure to have you on, Tarek. I remember seeing a play somewhere, and the theme of the play, you know, it was, it was a very fun sort of uh, Palestinian play, if there's ever such a thing. But this one was fun. And the mother had come home and the son said that he wanted to be an architect. And she said, look, there's only, there's three Ds. You can be a doctor or a dentist or a disappointment. So you need to, <laughs> you need to recalibrate what you want to be. So congratulations on not being a disappointment, Tarek. <laughs> well, I don't think that when you're a doctor or a dentist, it guarantees not being a disappointment. But anyway, <laughs> I appreciate it. Why don't you tell us firstly, Tarek, your Nakba story. How did you end up where you are? Yeah, well, my family is from the 1967 uh, territories, so uh, uh, commonly referred to as the West Bank, uh, our area. We are from uh, Alar, which is a village uh, near Tulkarim. And uh, in uh, the early 60s, my dad went to study in the Netherlands. And while he was uh, studying, in 1967, uh, the Israelis invaded uh, our area, And they took over. And until that time, he was getting money sent by his father for study and for everything. And from 1967, that just ended abruptly. So he had to take jobs in order to, to, you know, to pay college fees and everything. And I think that there are more Palestinians who relate to that. But that moment of uh, occupation is actually the moment in which uh, your rights disappear. Your right uh, to live uh, in Palestine is gone. It depends on the, the situations vary from person to person, and it has a lot to do with uh, where you were at the time of, uh, of occupation. So if you were outside of Palestine at that time, then it's lost to you. Uh, you can't be a resident. You can't uh, go home. So I'm not the son of refugees, but what would we call what we are? We are banished, or in any case, we can't live in, uh, we can't live in Palestine. So, your so father, is, did your father ever get to go back? Well, yeah, after after many years, uh, I think in 1973, he requested a tasrih, uh, which is a permit, a permit to visit. And then you get a, a temporary tasrih. And it was always very difficult to, to obtain the tasrih. It, re- it requires your family over there to 
file uh, numerous requests, which can easily can be uh, rejected. You know, after a lot of efforts, you can uh, you can obtain the tasrih and then uh, you can visit and go back. And in 1973, uh, when we all went there, actually, I was uh, five at the at the time, so I was very young. I must say that uh, that visit uh, affected me very very deeply. Uh, I still remember things uh, very intensely uh, from that from that specific visit, which you, I, I think don't relate to uh, what your normal memory is uh, of, of things uh, when you were five. First of all, I mean, this was the first time that I saw soldiers and, uh, and uh, I felt uh, a threat of uh, occupation and soldiers and that situation. And the other thing, and that is uh, why you still find me uh, so passionate about uh, Palestine, Palestine immediately to me became a very, very personal thing. It's not only is it uh, a great injustice, uh, and uh, I think that that is why so many people around the world are rallying for our cause because they see the grave injustice in it. But when it's personal, when you actually feel that that is your home, I mean, until that time, I was, uh, you know, growing up to be five years old in the Netherlands, where we were foreigners. I was living in an environment in a school where I felt that there was something very different about me not really belonging there. And coming to Palestine and visiting my family was like uh, stepping into a warm bath just uh, the amount of love that I felt there and uh, everybody treated me like I belonged there because I was the son of my dad. When you suddenly enter a village where everybody, everybody that you meet is related to you, is a f- is your family. That just was an incredible experience mm. to me. I, I it, it bonded me to Palestine forever. I remember even not wanting to leave. So when we went back to Holland, I was like, no, I want to stay here. You know, this is, uh, why are we going back? It didn't make any sense to me. I had the very same experience. Tata. The smells are our smells. The sounds are sounds. You feel a different sort of home. Not that the Netherlands isn't your home, that you were born there, etc. Not that Australia isn't mine, but it's not home. home. Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, of course, as let's say banished people, we managed to make a living in, uh, in various places. I've now been living in the Emirates for uh, 13 years. And it feels more like home to me now than uh, than the Netherlands. And that's fine. I mean, I, yeah, I could live here uh, another 20 years, but I will never be really, really home. Not in that way that not exactly like you said, you know, it's it's home. But there is a logic which uh, relates to relates to the experience of having uh, roots somewhere, being in a place where people can place you. They can place you in a, in a very automatic, natural way. It's like you're the son of Wasif. Well, Wasif is the son of Abdul Rahman. Abdul Rahman is the son of etc., etc., etc. So when you're in a place where wherever you walk, people can place you, like even if I go to the city, which is uh, nearest to our village, which is uh, Tulkaran, or if I go to Nablus, they ask me, where are you from? Or who are you? I could just give my family name and they could tell where I, where I belong, where, I, where I'm from. There is another thing, and I think that connects to language. I think it's very important. If your primary language is Palestinian Arabic, like, like it is in my case, this is the language that I grew up speaking. And if that is, this actually means that whenever you're anywhere else, you can't really speak that language. I mean, obviously in Holland, I can't. I mean, nobody would understand me. Uh, here in the Emirates, <laughs> here in the Emirates, they would understand me actually, but but I wouldn't talk that way here. 
uh, I would speak something which still probably has a big Palestinian influence, but is mixed with like some kind of a general Arabic uh, thing. And uh, and so I'm still a stranger here because that is not what people around me are speaking. So nowadays, now that I'm a big old grown up and I'm walking in uh, in Al-Quds or in, uh, or in Ramallah or in Nablus, where I can just feel I could just release all the muscles in my throat and in my tongue and in my cheeks and I can just blurt out whatever I want to blurt out without any mo- modification and thinking uh, that I have to be understandable to people. I could just speak naturally everywhere I go. Now, that there's no mask, <laughs> no mask, no nothing. And that means I'm really home. I'm, I'm where I belong. Yeah. And, and it's a it's a very intense feeling because uh, and that's very, very, very weird because don't uh, don't think that I'm uh, suicidal or anything far from that. But when I'm there, I'm like, okay, so if I die now, it's uh, totally fine. I have no problem with it because I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I, where I, where I belong. It, it's, it's a very weird uh, thing because I would rather uh, be connected to living there, actually, uh, than to dying there. But uh, the actual fact that you, you're feeling that you're in a place where if you should die, that is, that is totally fine. This, this, this is natural. And that means that you're actually haunted uh, subconsciously by the idea like as a permanent thing in your in your brain where you're feeling that if you're if you're going to die now you're going to die away from home there's something not okay about that and that part which is not okay disappears when i'm in when i'm in palestine because now i'm really home i've always found it amazing the uh you know the blood running through the palestinian veins no matter, no matter where they are on earth Palestine is where their heart is, and it's an exceptionally strong bond. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, and if you have that bond that way, I think in the Palestinian situation, different from perhaps if you're from another Arab country or from another country, period, the fact that you're deprived, you can. It's not a, I don't accept that it's not a choice for me to live there. I feel that as a very, very grave injustice to me, a personal. Yeah. This is why I started out saying that for I'm extremely appreciative of all the efforts that are being made by non-Palestinians like you, Rob, who really feel for our cause and who see the injustice of it. And the difference will always remain that to me, I am an actual, uh, for me, it actually means that I am deprived of something that is mine. That yeah. even if I'm born in another country, I'm born in the Netherlands and, and you're born in Australia and uh, you've lived all your life there and I've lived all my life, a big portion of my life in, uh, in Holland. But the difference will always be that for me, this is personal. I was robbed. I was robbed as a person. I think that adds an extra dimension to uh, to everything that I do because it is a first-person commentary. And you might think that Palestinians uh, who live in the West Bank would view that as strange. They might think that, you know what, we're the ones who've been living here under occupation. We're the ones who have been, uh, you know, having our uh, lives uh, disrupted. Uh, we can't uh, develop uh, properly. We're, we're having to do impossible things just to, just to finish school. We're having to do impossible things just to, to get a degree in university. We, we don't really feel we have a future, but th- it's ju- this is just a matter of degrees. So yes, they definitely have been robbed uh, more than I have because they are living uh, a, a daily, they're being terrorized daily by, by the occupation and I'm not. 
I can hold up a, a Dutch passport and, and say, you know, don't touch me. I'll uh, complain to the embassy. And they can't do that. I wanted to talk about your music and the way you're explaining your affiliation or attachment to Palestine, the way you explain it shows that you're a songwriter because, you know, it's just smooth and you can feel it. Now, I know that you've done a few songs. How many songs have you done? How many instruments do you play? And how's that music affected you growing up? Because I know you've done it for a long time. Yeah, like nice question. I, I, it's absolutely true that uh, when, once I started dedicating uh, my music to Palestine, uh, that emotion uh, came out. So I'm very glad that you can hear it, that you can hear it in the, in the songs and in the lyrics. I started that in, uh, in 2000, in the year 2000. And uh, in all the years before that, I gradually, I'm a self-taught, I'm self-taught on all the instruments that, that I play on. Uh, I started on uh, a guitar when I was 13 and on a piano when I was 16 and on a shibabe, which is Palestinian flute, when I was 17. And I think the darbike has kind of always been there, which is the, the hand drum. Then uh, I obtained a oud. The oud is uh, like the king of Arabic music yep. in, the, in the instruments. Yep. I play on that too. I figured out how to play it. And this is how I did it with all the instruments. I just uh, play by ear. I, I can't read notes. And uh, then I learned drums and bass. Uh, so, and of course, if you play piano, then uh, the the road is wide open to uh, to the keyboards and synthesizers. Those are the main instruments that I play. I remember when, when I was reading about you, you, you didn't charge for the songs. The songs all have fantastic names like Justice and... You know, they're, he they're heavy lyrics, but you did it as a musical book, basically, so people could listen to it but learn about Palestine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that that's pretty that's true? That's totally true. Yeah. I'm, uh, I never charge for my songs. You can always download them for free. You asked me, I think, how many I have. I think I have over 110 online. I did know that, but I wanted you to say <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think for me, it's only natural that they should be free. I'm uh, that it, it was never I never made music with the idea that I want to make money off of it. I always made music with the idea that I want people to hear me and then uh, our story as well. Uh, because not all my songs are about uh, Palestine. I write about everything that I feel. Uh, so, uh, and because I have uh, such a strong feeling uh, for Palestine, uh, that is why there is so much Palestine in, uh, in, in what I uh, write. That's, that's brilliant, Tyler. So why don't we play Intifada now? This is, tell us just very quickly what the song's about, uh, and then we'll play Intifada. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Intifada is the, the first song that I did that was about Palestine. And uh, and back in those days, it was very hard to 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 get music on uh, the internet. It wasn't like today, where you have Spotify and all these other things. So I had my own uh, website. Uh, when I wrote Intifada and I recorded and I finished it, I changed uh, the name of my website to the Musical Intifada, and uh, Intifada became the flagship song, and it was uh, very popular. I've had I I don't know how many downloads, like maybe a hundred thousand downloads, uh, back in those days or more. Uh, I stopped counting because it was so uh, be, being downloaded so much. And uh, so in those days, if you owned a website and you had, a, you know, you had your own song, you, you could do a thing like that. And now it's very hard. It's a, it's a, it's an ocean of songs out there. But Intifada is, is, is about uh, it's really a, a core thing about the struggle 
uh, and what I like very much about Intifada is that it refers to the UN resolution that was discarded, uh, which, which stems back, I think it dates back to 76, where the whole world agreed that Zionism is racism. So that's United Resolution 3379. And I say in the song, you wiped it from the records, but not from our minds. So we still believe that 3379, uh, it, it was removed uh, as a political deal in 1991 when, uh, when Bush Sr. wanted to attack uh, Iraq. And then uh, part, of the, part of the deal to form the coalition was to get that uh, resolution out of the way. But Zionism is racism. <laughs> and, you know, so they wipe it from the record, but it's, it's still in our mind. This is still what we believe. And this is what everyone will believe and understand if they really understand what's going on. I just, I just want to read one thing that's before you put it on. And this is from the song. It says, you better stop breaking our bones. You better stop wrecking our homes. You better stop stealing our lands. Beware of the anger of the innocent. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that line, beware of the anger of the innocent, uh, actually isn't mine. I'm, I'm trying, it is, somebody had made a painting uh, and I'm just afraid to get it wrong. And I should give credit. And I used to give credit for that line uh, on my website. But, uh, you know, I've aged a bit. I've forgotten who it was, but it was a, a Palestinian artist. <laughs> it's really good. It was a Palestinian artist. And he had uh, made a beautiful painting of uh, uh, like an intifada painting with a guy holding a stone. And uh, and he said, beware the anger of the innocent. So I, I was like, wow, that fits into the song perfectly. So this is Intifada by Doc Jazz. Occupation is a hazardous game If you get your hands dirty it will burn you like a flame They want us to bow down, surrender our hometown They're building colonies, creating a showdown It's not political or matter analytical It's plain straight war crimes targeting civilians Northern American Indians, Australian Aboriginals The people of the land all wiping to oblivion It's never right to steal another people's country Your implements philosophy is smothered your morality No fake excuses, no media control And cover up the crime that is favored to us all Protected by the powerful and treated also lovable Justice, see they don't know what that is Say power is a healthy way of solving the squiddies Military power, economical power Without continuous infusions, it wouldn't last an hour It's 
people of the world, beware of Zionism. It's a racist ideology of national socialism. United Nations Resolution 3379. You have it from the records, but not from our minds. Never give up. We're ready for the fight. We'll never give up. We struggle to survive. We'll never give up. Beloved Palestine, we're rising up to rescue Palestine. Never give up. We're ready for the fight. We'll never give up. We struggle to survive. We're rising up. Intifada, rising up. Intifada. Fantastic, Tata. Thanks so very much for sharing that song with us. Thank you. Palestinians the world over, we've watched what's happened in the Ukraine with Russia and we've seen the world jump up and down, Tata. I, I think there's an opportunity there because now the world knows what uh, sanctions are, how quickly we can act. The Palestinians have been calling for boycott, divestment and sanctions of apartheid Israel for many years. Increasingly, Western human rights organisations have started to acknowledge that Israel's an apartheid state. Um, and most recently, Amnesty, which included all of historic Palestine, but also Palestinians like yourself and I, that, you know, based on the fact of the denial of our right to return, our inalienable right to return, that Israel is, in fact, practising apartheid against you and I. Here we are. Zelensky's addressing the UN. He's calling for the UN to be dismantled, dissolved, if they won't uh, expel Russia. The, he's addressing parliaments all over the world. And... We're just sitting by, you know, why, why the uh, hypocrisy and duplicity? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy situation. Uh, in that sense, I, I felt that all of the Palestinians and even the, the, our supporters were feeling the same thing because let's take it from the point of view of the supporters. They've been calling for things. They've been trying to get the world's attention to do something about an invaded earth which is being defended by its indigenous population. And now we're seeing suddenly uh, symbols of resistance because, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, what is a Molotov cocktail against modern weaponry? It's, it's really almost nothing. So it's mostly a symbolic resistance and it's, uh, it's, it's a very dangerous resistance. I mean, if you put yourself out there, you might die. So uh, when somebody does that, and if somebody goes out with a out on the street with a Molotov cocktail or just with a stone, he's not expecting to free Palestine with the stone. Uh, he is expressing his resistance. He is showing the resilience of this is our land and we're not going to let you just take our land without doing anything. So we're going to do something and we are challenging you. So, uh, so this is a very, very important uh, part of the whole Palestinian resistance because we all are aware that we don't have an army. 
And uh, if Napoleon uh, stepped out of his grave for a second and had a, had a look at the situation and said, what do you think militarily, what's going to happen here? Then he's going to say, what these people are doing is useless because they can't win this. And he is right from a, a military strategic point of view, it's impossible to win this. But that's not how we are uh, uh, trying to win this. We're trying to win this uh, on a symbolic level and on uh, the level of changing minds and showing the world that uh, a people is refusing to be subjugated. And in order for that to work, you need to get the solidarity of the world for that. So if Palestinians keep throwing stones all the time and everybody ignores them always, then it can never work. And uh, if Zelensky gives uh, Kalashnikovs to untrained people, uh, untrained civilians, uh, then it's also an illusion to think that these uh, people are going to be able to, to free uh, a Russian street from a heavily... Uh, an Ukrainian street from a heavily trained uh, Russian army. So this is where we become really disillusioned and really insulted and angry that to see people cheering that on. I mean, we're not angry that they cheer that on. We understand. We can identify with Ukrainians uh, facing an invading force. This is very easy for us. It's even easier for us than those who aren't occupied and aren't invaded. So we might even feel more solidarity for them than what they're thinking. They're maybe doing it from other motives. But the point here is that if you're cheering them on like this, and especially in the first days, I mean, it, there was only a week had passed and, and people were giving, uh, given heroic status. Uh, things were being said about the Ukrainians that they're like, this is the most fierce uh, defense ever put up by a people against uh, an invading force. Excuse me, excuse me. I mean, we're talking almost eight decades here of Palestinians rising up. Uh, and I, I, I don't take it from 1948 because Palestinian resistance, real Palestinian resistance started in 1936 with that first intifada, the real first intifada was 1936, and people can look it up in their history books and they will find, find out about it. Uh, uh, so the Palestinians have been fighting with, you know, with sticks and stones basically, and with, 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 uh, with poor weaponry against the invader for a very, very long time. And without, without support. support, and then you get other people uh, who are subjected to a similar situation, getting 500,000 times the amount of support that the Palestinians have been given in, over, over eight decades, and they're getting that poured over them in, in, in one day. And uh, now the challenge is there, our challenge to the world community and, to, and our challenge from all us, together with all of those who support us, is... Not only, don't tell us that this is only about, uh, you know, just politics. It's just because it's closer to home. It's just, it really, really looks racist. <laughs> it looks extremely racist to respond with this double standard in this extreme way. This extreme way of calling a Palestinian a terrorist. So making him the guy who's wrong, the Palestinian who's going out on the street with a stone. And I shouldn't say him, I should say him and her because... Our women are in this uh, just as much and, and putting in everything they have. Uh, and, uh, and the Ukrainian is a hero. So one is elevated 
uh, you know, into uh, some something really big, like heroic, and the other one is vilified to the level of being a terrorist. And a terrorist, a terrorist is the ugliest person in the world because a terrorist is somebody who is out there just to destroy. He doesn't have any, uh, you know, uh, uh, any goal that you can stand behind. He's just doing something out of spite and anger and, uh, and, and it's a very, very ugly thing. So if you call us terrorists, you are violating who we are, what we are uh, to the most, to the deepest essence, because we are doing the, 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 the minimum of what we can do or what we should do for, for, the, for uh, defending our land. And even that minimum is being called terrorism. They've glued terrorism on, on kids, on kids who are uh, 12 years old and, and throwing stones in the street. They call them terrorists. How dare they? How dare uh, they? Yeah, really, really How upsetting. Did, it's been fantastic chatting to you. We've already run out of time. Good news, we've anointed you our Palestine Remembered uh, golf correspondent. So we'll be coming back to you a couple of more times this year, inshallah. Um, wish wow. you a, a very blessed uh, Ramadan. Uh, and to our listeners, be sure to share the podcast, tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.